what are your thoughts on like engaging with apolitical Asians? Yeah. Wow. That I feel like is the question of all organizers is <laughs> how do we engage people who don't care? Yeah. And I feel like it's, and maybe this is not that stellar of an answer, I guess, but consciousness raising, right? Like, yeah. sure. Like you could be making like a six figure salary, but if you lose your job, two paychecks in, are you still going to afford your luxury apartment? Does your boss actually care about you? You're much closer to poverty probably than you are being, mm. you know, another Andrew Yang <laughs> per se, <laughs> or insert other like Asian, like rich person here. Welcome to the Politically Asian Podcast. We're just two Asian-American comedians talking about politics and the Asian-American community in hopes of getting more Asians to talk about politics. We're coming at you live from Brooklyn, New York. My name is Aaron Yin. My pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on social media at Aaron Flarin. That's A-A-R-O-N-F-L-A-R-I-N. And my co-host, Hey, my name is Jerry Lim. My pronouns are they, them. And you can find me across the internet at Jerryaki. That's G-E-R-R-I-E-Y-A-K-I. All right. And today we are back with another guest episode. This one's very exciting. It features someone you know who we first met as a listener, but now they're on the pod. Listeners, please give a warm welcome to Aina Fernandez. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. My name's Aina. My pronouns are she, they. I'm an organizer with Anakbayan Queens and fellow Asian who loves to talk about politics. Um, <laughs> and you can find me at Decolonial Bulak Lak. That's D-E-C-O-L-O-N-I-A-L-B-U-L-A-K-L-A-K. Thanks for sticking it out for the spelling. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually a spelling podcast. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, great. Well, we're so excited to have you on. You know, we've obviously known each other before the pod. So I'm looking forward to this. So just like, you know, just chill and talking. You know, I know you just mentioned that, you you know, you work with Anak Bayan Queens. I figured before we ask you all the questions about your background, can you like briefly describe Anak Bayan to us in a few sentences? Yeah, so Anakbayan Queens is a local chapter of Anakbayan USA, and we are a mass organization of youth and students who are fighting for a nationally liberated Philippines. So when we say nationally liberated, we mean just Philippines that's free from imperialism and also has a socialist perspective. So that is Anakbayan. And we're based, obviously, primarily in Woodside, Queens, because that's where Little Manila is. So, oh, okay. That's why we're there. <laughs> Got it. Cool. Okay. Cool. Um, I know Anak Bayan has like also a Manhattan branch, and I think I've, I like. Why is that again? Like, why are there two branches? And also, where's Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah, good question. So, a little bit of history. So, like pre twenty twenty, it was actually Anak Bayan, New York, broadly. Oh, when it was okay. smaller. So as like more members joined, it split into Manhattan and Queens. So 
Queens has like a particular demographic of like working class youth mm-hmm. and students. Mm-hmm. And then like in Manhattan, as we know, and Manhattan has so many schools. Um, so a lot of like um, Filipino students specifically uh, and like, okay. Okay. Um, like undergraduate institutions. And also, of course, there are like workers there as well. So yeah. it kind of split just as like, a, oh, like where are where are the Filipino youth? They're uh, here, not to say there are also some in Brooklyn, but I think yeah. just strategically, <laughs> where it was like Queens, Manhattan, let's go. Okay. That's <laughs> okay. really funny. I had no idea. <laughs> Hopefully, over time, the Filipino population in Brooklyn will also go up. But uh, well, I mean, maybe the Asian not. population went up according to the census, right? Yeah, like, we've covered that <laughs> before. Say, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I guess it was maybe mainly like maybe like Chinese people. I know like there's like Sunset Park, right, and then maybe like indian people i guess i guess depending on what areas of brooklyn but okay i see i see cool so i know you said like overall anak bayan is focused on a you said like globally liberated philippines i guess can you talk a little bit more about some things that maybe the queens chapter has done recently or the manhattan chapter or like however you want to talk about it sure yeah so I think a lot of our focus over the past few months has been around like drawing like attention to just the four new military bases that are being built in the Philippines. So mm-hmm. during mm, April. Yeah. 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 So during, um, you know, uh, this past month, we've been holding like a national month of like resistance against like U.S. imperialism, mili- you know, U.S. military out of the Philippines. So there, we had a Times Square action that happened, and that was joint between Anakbayan Queens, Manhattan, and other related organizations, um, either like in the National Democratic Movement or just solidarity organizations as well. Um, so that's been our focus for now: is just um, how do we how do we let other Filipinos know that this is what's happening mm-hmm. um, across like young people and also just like just building out solidarity amongst uh, just people who care about <laughs> politics. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Nice. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting because I know uh, Aaron and I covered those, uh, whatchamacallit, those military bases a couple months ago, I think, when they announced it. I, I remember seeing it, like, in the New York Times. I was like, whoa, uh. Yeah. <laughs> was this at the same time when, um, like, Marcos Jr. was coming to New York? That was in September. So September yeah. was oh, okay, okay. that was a while ago. <laughs> a while ago, but sometimes yeah. I mean, time. What is time <laughs> what now? Is time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think just they're all like melding together because uh, Kamala Harris went to visit the Philippines in February, January. Mm. Sure. So <laughs> a lot of these things are just uh, happening back to back. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. You know, when I think about Anak Bayan and just um, being Filipino, because for for people who are listening and somehow don't know, I'm Filipino. Um, And I think a lot about like my own parents and, you know, just they're they're pretty conservative. They're, you know, they're resistant to change. And um, whenever I'm like, oh, well, it would be great if the Philippines did X, Y, Z. They're always like, oh, well, what would you know about the Philippines? Like why, you know, you didn't even live there. You didn't grow up there. Like. And so I guess like one question that I have for you is just like, how do you see like the intersection of Filipino identity and and, like leftist politics and all that stuff? The the closest I've ever gotten is just being like, oh, at the Kamayan, everyone eats. Share. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a great that's a great question and i think i think that um that's a big part of why i actually got to be part of anakmayan is just wanting to connect to being filipino but also just having like socialist politics so for folks who don't know anakmayan is actually like very rooted in a lot of the anti-marco struggles back in like the 1980s there's an organization called Bayan that we're actually part of. Anak Bayan. Bayan, mm. if you follow my lead. <laughs> <laughs> so they're rooted very much in what working class struggle has really looked like, whether it's like ousting a dictator or like, hey, why is it that farmers don't have land or money as they like work? Mm. Um, it's unfair. So it was really special to me to be part of Anakbayan because I feel connected to what organizers are doing in the Philippines. Like we'll have educational discussions where organizers on the ground in Manila or various parts of the Philippines are literally talking to us about like what they see. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of people might think of like leftist politics as like a Western import, but it's not mm-hmm. like people yeah. out there have been like, really doing this since the 60s so it feels really cool to like be part of that even being in the u.s yeah 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 that makes sense i mean like uh i i'm man i feel like i'm about to get flamed for this because i don't want i don't know how to quote it like word for word and i i don't think the i'm not sure the fact is 100 percent correct but like if i remember correctly like the the ousting of the dictator the first go-round which Marcos was like done by like leftist people was it not wasn't it yeah no you're right I think like I will say that even just seeing like the people power movement which is like what ousted dictator Marcos mm-hmm. um the first one because we have the second one back right, right. <laughs> in the yeah. Philippines the remix yeah I know <laughs> Marcos remix sadly yeah um was really comprehensive in terms of like even having like church people or even I guess like liberal Filipinos not Mm -hmm. necessarily leftists were part of that and it was actually led in part by Bayan Bayan USA or not Bayan USA Bayan Philippines uh was like rooted in like learning how to agitate people across the political spectrum around we at least can agree that this dictator sucks and is harming us. So what's up with that? So I feel like leftist politics is what helped kind of create people power. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mm. yeah. So you're right. You got it. (laughs) Yes. I earned my card today. I I earned the right to keep it, I guess. Um, (laughs) So like whenever you go to like a a family gathering or whatever, and do you, do you ever like, push back on like the conservative titas or titos i know maybe that's not like the best place to do it when we're you know like let's just eat the lechon and like not let's talk about christmas plans right how do you like navigate even just landing on the same page because you mentioned like that idea okay we we agree that this dictator sucks and he's hurting us um it doesn't matter if we agree on like you know whether gay people should have rights but we agree we hate this guy <laughs> um and i guess like how do you navigate telling a conservative tita or tito and like getting on the same page with them? So I will note that I haven't been the best at that. Okay. I think just like, I, you know, I think it's real sometimes where, yeah, you're like, I am seeing my family like rarely 
And I also will say that my mom and most of the titas and titas that I actually interact with already hate Marcos and generally oh, seem yeah. like on, I guess, more left than maybe most Filipino mm. parents are. My mom and I regularly talk about like, Marcos sucks. Like the Philippines is poor, but the land is rich. Like my mom literally Ooh, has bars. been able to say that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah. mom, did you, were you organized and you were telling me about it? So I feel like also that's also why I don't have practice around that uh, mm. because I'm lucky that my my mom and my family members that I mostly see in the U.S. Mm-hmm. who are here like share pretty similar politics. Oh, oh is, I will say I yeah. will say it doesn't matter if uh, uh, because like my parents, like I mentioned earlier, are conservative, but they're also um, against Marcos. But I think it's just because they have that like lived trauma of like being under the first Marcos. Um, Okay, so if what about like cousins? You know, you got the conservative cousins. Yeah, you know, my I feel like I'm not giving you good answers. <laughs> okay, cousins, it doesn't have to be cousins. You know what I mean? Not like yes. cousins, but like cousins. <laughs> sure. You know, I maybe I'm just in an, like a a wildly different family, but most folks that I've interacted with in my family are like, yeah, like. Even though I'm not saying socialism, they're like, yeah, yeah everybody should have universal health care and people shouldn't be poor. And I'm like, mm. cool, that's great. I, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It seems like, um, I guess, from the outside, just like, you know, listening to Jerry talk about their family, it seems like maybe one potential rift with like our generation, old ones, could be specifically around military bases. Mm. I would say, like, have you had a lot of fights before about that topic specifically? Like, have you had any success in being like, these bases, bad, because of X, Y, Z? That, that's a good question. I haven't, I feel like a lot of people will think that, you know, the military bases are here to protect us, or they provide jobs. Like, my <laughs> right. <laughs> My Lolo actually worked at a military base and even so just, and I think Filipinos who might live around the bases, the violence that actually comes from those bases isn't exactly apparent. Like military Mm. officers aren't just going around actively killing individual people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're doing it a little further away, but continue what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah, so I, I guess like in conversations that I've had with, whether it's my own family or just elder Filipinos is explaining just I think sometimes money talking about money can be helpful where Mm. it's like, Oh, like this, there's so much money that the U S putting into the military bases, but what if it went to providing health resources or Uh, PPE? Like what if uh, that money went to, helping poor people in the Philippines. Mm. So sometimes redirecting in that way and just encouraging people to think about if we could use that money for something else, this would be significantly better. And I think that's actually been really helpful. Uh, That's a very like common thing we keep coming back to. It's like using econ terms and like, uh, like opportunity cost of this versus that. (laughs) That's I agree with that. That's like the, Jerry and I talk about how 
maybe like our parents really care about how money is spent and account from an accountability perspective that that's actually pretty solid like <laughs> or like it's a theme that we keep coming back to yeah i think too everyone has a vested interest in wanting to have enough money to live <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's such that's a simple it. way to yeah. like think about like oh the common experience is that we have bills and we're forced to work so if mm. i'm able to say hey can you imagine if you had more money for xyz yeah. it's it's a pretty good way of getting people to to see <laughs> your side yeah. yeah that makes sense uh so you know so far you know we've talked specifically about like you and anak bayan um and i feel like i think right now might be a good moment to kind of zoom out a little bit i'm kind of curious like what helped you know shape your politics and sort of you know, radicalize you. Like we talk about maybe having like a ratatouille moment, like some, some moment in the past really just like changed everything, you know, did you have that? Like what, what kind of led you to where you are right now in like a short story form timeline? Wow. Short story form timeline. It's hard to even just think about one specific moment, but I think being an immigrant myself, Mm, and growing up poor Mm -hmm. and law school really the combination (laughs) of the two kind of led me there i think just as a young person who didn't have much i was questioning like why don't i have much (laughs) why do all okay why do other people have that do i not deserve that Mm. and then just going through the immigration process myself is what led me to law school and oh. learning about that and just the immigration system itself being really harmful, even if you can win your case, as was my case, mm. uh, just kind of really radicalized me to see that there are deeper issues that can't just be solved with uh, just being a lawyer or oh. and require really radical, like revolutionary organizing. <laughs> Oh, that's really cool. That was a good summary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait. Um, so I know we were talking earlier, like you immigrated from the Philippines. What age did you um, come to the U.S.? I was six years old. So oh, 1999, wow, okay. baby. I, 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 <laughs> so you were, you were like nice. conscious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I was conscious, though. I actually lived in Hong Kong for six years. Oh, okay. I was oh, born okay, in okay. the Philippines. Born in the Philippines, spent a month in Hong Kong. Or six oh. six years in Hong Kong. Uh-huh. So sadly, then, yeah. my memories before I was six kind of non-existent. So it's yeah. almost as if like I have just been really raised in the U.S. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. And then I know you mentioned you know law school, and then you know feeling like the law wasn't really going to like change things. And I guess I'm kind of curious, like within law school was there like a particular particular moment that made you think that because like when i meet people who go to law school they're always like they're always saying the opposite like oh law will change things for many many people you know it's like a lasting yeah. impact that can affect lives and that's why i want to be a lawyer da, 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 da. and then they go into corporate law <laughs> yeah <laughs> then then they go into corporate law and they're like jeff bezos is a good man you know <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. (laughs) You know, I so the law school I went to allegedly is a more left leaning law school. So I want to say that actually most people that I went to law school with ended up being like 
the law sucks. And uh-huh. I guess, you know, <laughs> it's important to remember too, right? That who wrote these laws, who created right. this government we have, and it's white, propertyed, rich, like men, yeah. <laughs> not mm-hmm. even, not even white women. They weren't even there yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when we think about like how the U.S., came to be stealing land from indigenous peoples and that that all of the rules that govern this current system that we have are built by people who didn't even want Asian people to really be Mm. here kind of settled in for me as I like look through how court cases are decided the proper way to argue a case still requires you to like use these terrible laws and Mm. kind of forget that like when you have a case, you're dealing with someone's very real life, whether it's this is a poor black person or this is a trans person. It's you're not really you're trying to fit them into these like very like weird cases that don't actually uh, take them into account. So I could always expand on that. But I think just generally it's it's hard to use the master's tools. Yes. yes. <laughs> to dismantle it. Yeah. That's, Andre that's, Lord. that's that's exactly what I was thinking about at the time. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Wow. Okay. Mm, okay. Okay. So yeah, that, so, that's really fair. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of understanding this. So in the life story of Aina, you have that realization in law school. So you don't become a lawyer. And at that point, you moved to New York and you find Anakbayan, Queens? Yeah. Oh, so okay. my a good friend of mine who had already been in New York and was actually taking like a Filipino language class was organized oh, nice. that way. <laughs> and my friend, obviously also Filipino, was like, hey, I know your politics. I think you'd like to join this place. And I was like, <laughs> you are right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. That's how I got to Anakbayan. Mm. Nice. Okay. Okay. So, you know, kind of moving on to speaking like generally about Asian Americans politics and their stances. What are your thoughts on like how we engage with Asian Americans who identify as like apolitical, like the people who don't want to do any kind of politics whatsoever? These are like the people who... They might have really nice jobs already, you know, like six feet. Fi- in my mind, when I think apolitical Asian, it's like you're making six figures. You might be in tech or some other really good industry. You have a really nice apartment, maybe Upper East Side, maybe Bushwick, you know, something really nice. Or and not you're just even. Like, yeah. Not <laughs> even. They don't even they don't even have to be making that six figure salary. It's just like they yeah. never thought to question, they just like, like, don't you know, care. kind of kind of like what you said, right? Like they've never thought to question, like, why don't I have more? Oh, it's probably because I don't work hard enough or, you know, like something yeah. like that. It's just like brain brain is it's not head even, empty. I was going to say head empty. Maybe that's the best way to put it. It's like there's really like like I think about when I try to give Asian people flyers sometimes and they're just like, no, it's like that kind of person in my head, too. But I guess like, yeah, how do you what are your thoughts on like engaging with apolitical Asians? Yeah. Wow. That I feel like is the question of all organizers. Is <laughs> how do we engage people who don't care? Yeah. And I feel like it's and maybe this is not that stellar of an answer, I guess, but consciousness raising, right? Like, yeah. sure, like you could be making like a six figure salary, but if you lose your job, two paychecks in, are you still going to afford your luxury apartment? Mm. Does your boss actually care about you? 
you're much closer to poverty probably than you are being, mm. you know, another Andrew Yang <laughs> per se, <laughs> or insert other like Asian like rich person here. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's it, I think it's a real problem that a lot of people once they reach a certain salary or even just get the job that they think is their dream job are like mm -hmm. well i have what i need now i'm not a worker like a oh i don't make a uh you know i'm not low wage anymore so what do i have to complain about i have it already mm. when i think people like really need to realize like you've there's not actually a guarantee that you're always going to have that job. We saw all the layoffs from the tech industry. Like, oh, yeah. So, and that sucks too, because I imagine a lot of, uh, there's a lot of workers also who might like have a, a good salary for a moment, but they might've grown up poor. They don't have like a like parents to like rely on if for, for rent money. So kind of reminding people by way of even popular education around like, hey, like, let's talk about like, what do you actually have? And what do you what is going to be there forever? Because I, I don't think you don't think we're actually as protected as we as we think we are. Hey, everyone, uh, if you're still listening to the podcast right now, thank you so much for making it this far. Uh, here to just say, if you like us, please consider pausing the episode right now and uh, give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Those reviews really, really help us out with the algorithm that, you know, does not really like us overall. Uh, if you want to support us financially, you can also do so uh, by going to buymeacoffee.com slash politicalasian. If you donate, we'll also give you a shout out as well. Just a one-time payment of whatever you want. Uh, and yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks for listening. And back to the episode. Yeah, I, I don't know about y'all, but like when <laughs> unlike dating apps, they you can like put your politics now. And like I get I would rather people say like they're conservative or something than say like apolitical, which is an option on yeah. Hinge. Um, and oh. I think you hit the nail. I hit I think you hit the nail on the head there um, because when you're talking about like with a worker who thinks like, oh, well, I've made it like I'm no longer working that job. And I think like that's what makes me upset. It's because even if you have it good, which, you know, like you pointed out, how far away are you actually from poverty? But it's also like you're not thinking about anyone else, you know, and it's just like that, yeah. that like individualism that makes me like really, really angry. Like, I, obviously, like, you know, we're we're unique individuals, but like, you know, care about someone else, you know? <laughs> yeah, like. I agree. Obviously, I agree. Um, <laughs> I think, especially when we think about if you're, if you are thinking about other people and you're like raising the wage floor for people who have the same job as you, that also actually benefits you in the long run. That means you're going to get paid more or you're going to have better benefits. Um, it's wild. I think just especially like individualism in the US, like Asian diaspora, where I feel like I also see like more communal perspectives or like um, an obligation or like a duty to be like, I care about people around me in other like spaces. So it's just, it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's wild to kind of observe that, especially in, um, in the US as diaspora. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think especially what you were saying earlier with the tech layoffs, I do feel like that was a major like awakening moment. Because even like me, I'm like, tech is like the thing that everyone has heard good things about, right? Oh, the good salaries, the ping pong tables, the free snacks, the the whatever insurance, right? It's like so good. It's like the pedestal. But to have that crumbling, I think is is a really good sign that like, yeah, even you are closer to, you know, being, you know, poor than than like than being permanently successful and rich right and i even think about you know anti-asian violence also i imagine has brought a lot of people who Mm, maybe were apolitical before to kind of see like you can have the job you can have certain a certain lifestyle that is assimilated to whiteness or some kind of protection but people still hate us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, I feel like it, it's fascinating kind of observing like apolitical Asians and also mm-hmm. witnessing like very real issues happening in real time and kind of being, I guess like that's the job of an organizer too, is just to be like, let's get you there. We got, look yeah. at it. It's right here. Let's, let's, let's zoom in y'all. Let's, let's yeah. look at it. Yeah. It's the computer enhance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, dude, that's definitely the most jarring thing. It's like when you have like people, you know, like in New York city, when we see, hear about so many attacks and even at this point, it's like, there are still, you know, like I know people who are like, yeah, that sucks. That's so bad to hear about. And then that's it. And it's like, Okay, well, clearly even Racism that bad. wasn't enough. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't enough to like activate something in you. Like, I feel like, like, uh, yeah. I, at this point, I'm like, something surely has to work, but maybe not yet for a certain group. Yeah, I always think about you know, amongst organizers, we know that this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Mm, We're yeah. in it for the long run. We're probably not going to see it in our lifetime, but I always kind of try to think about even like 100 years ago like there have been some like radical changes made so it's like maybe we're not seeing it in in our lifetimes but Mm. if we push more like i trust and do believe that people will get there especially as we literally are seeing structures crumble before our very yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah That's a that's a really optimistic uh, way to look at it. And I appreciate that because like I think for me and like Aaron, I don't know if you feel the same, but sometimes I feel like as as a community, Asian Americans are like we're really hardwiring ourselves for short sightedness, like our our ability to see um, uh, like progress or like our goals are like, ah, Oscar award season. Like that's as far as we're going to look, you know, Um, and uh yeah, I, I like the um, just like constant encouragement of like, you got to look beyond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I I feel like I understand why people we have to find joy in something, whether it's the Oscars, <laughs> to even just like bolster our joy. But I mean, I think about as a as a politics nerd, when I think about all of the revolutions that I've studied in history, it's like those are like reminders of like they did that. Holy yeah. shit. So they could yeah. do it. We could do it again. Uh, yeah. So Dude, that, 
that's like such the hardest part too because like jerry and i always complain about how you know the asian american label is barely used for politics today even though it was made mm-hmm. like as a really strong label but now it's like you know like hell you know i'm drinking bubble tea right now people call this oh this asian american drink right here this asian american food right here <laughs> so like, i don't know it's like we can do it again but it seems like somehow we've we you know we took a step forward with that label but then we maybe took two steps back by you know misusing the label so much to where it's like a totally different thing now yeah that's real history really changes things and i think just the powers that become become really good at taking like very political terms to just just, just to remove that history so sometimes it's a reminder of like oh they know what they're they know what they're doing but (laughs) but our movements are stronger than just a term you know like yeah yeah i mean we'll we'll especially see that now that you know the month of may is coming up you know asian american (laughs) native hawaiian pacific island month we're gonna see a lot of misusing of that label pretty soon yeah (laughs) yay yeah yay yeah (laughs) i mean okay i guess like Okay, trying to think optimistically, I guess, like, what advice do you have for, like, Asian Americans who are interested in uh, getting involved in organizing or, like, even, like, socialist activism? I feel like maybe you don't even, maybe you don't even have to speak to the socialist aspect of it because I know that can scare some people or whatever. But just, like, yeah, like, participating more, organizing, that kind of thing. Yeah, I will say for myself that when you find a really good organization with organizers who are really invested in like what that world we want looks like, it's finding people who you can rely on um, to whether it's like developing your own political consciousness and even just learning how to like talk to your neighbors and talk to like fellow like workers around like, hey, like what's going on? Um, I think really good organizations know how to build like really good interpersonal relationships Mm, too. So I feel like I encourage people all the time that, you know, if you have an organization in mind, go to like one meeting, ask to meet with an organizer and see like how they respond to you. Um, Mm. And there are lots of organizations that I think do that. Um, Youth Against Displacement. I feel like I've talked to (laughs) folks from Youth Against Sweatshops and they were really engaging. That made me feel like, oh, you're invested in like getting to know me as a person. Yeah. Um, And building that and just seeing also like the victories that happened from like, you know, the the No More 24 rally, seeing like that sit in was amazing. Um, (laughs) That it is like, it is a lot of work and it's, it's the long game, but the small victories that happen in between, whether it's I found a new comrade or this sit-in had 700, 800 people show up is is really cool. And I think even like, obviously just speaking for myself, but I know other, you know, my, my comrades also feel the same way. These moments remind me like, this is worth it. Like this is... Mm this is worth fighting for. And the more that we build, the more that we have more people come through, the more that our victories will come and also get bigger. So mm. I know that's quite an optimistic take, but I that's think- That's very just, optimistic, yeah. Yeah. And, I and that's okay. No, of, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been part of Anakbayan for, for 
three, almost three years now since 2020. Mm, 2019 yeah. was when I first started attending Anakbayan events and then I became a full member in 2020. Oh, nice. Um, over that time, like, of course there are struggles, but every, each like protest rally, educational discussion meeting, I'm yeah. like reminded that this is, this is really cool and to be mm. part of even historically. Yeah. That's really nice. I kind of wish I asked this. I mean, I do have a question. I kind of wish I asked it before this question, but I'll still ask it. Um, you know, obviously, like, you know, we both organize it in, like, our respective groups. And, like, there are always frustrating things, things you wish were different. I guess one question I have for you um, is, like, what's something that maybe frustrates you about organizing maybe something within organizing that makes you kind of like roll your eyes a little bit um just to kind of paint like a more holistic picture of the ups and the downs Ooh, that's a spicy question yeah. <laughs> but it's a good one and it, yeah. it needs to be struggled out yeah <laughs> um frustrations i think like communication sometimes right like oh, yeah. organizing is based it's <laughs> it's as strong as your communication and trust with each other and different members have like different capacities different ways to engage or get involved and sometimes sometimes that's not clear um so i think something that is always really important is to like kind of even just define like ahead of time like so what do we actually expect from new members right like mm. how do we make it i'm constantly thinking about what can we do to make organizing as easy as possible for a new member like mm. whether that's yeah. do you know how many hours a week or like if you say you only have two hours a week then i know i can be like you can do this one task can you reach out to one person today you know oh yeah <laughs> so i think yeah because i i know like i've been in different groups i've been part of dsa oh, too. Yeah. Mm. so <laughs> lots to say about dsa but we love building Ooh, name names <laughs> um it just yeah like how do we like really stay in contact with our members and make it so that it's like it's worth being here y'all even mm. when it's because it's hard work and i get yeah. why people drop off or like yeah. maybe don't know how to communicate but it's it's up to folks who have been in the movement for a long time to really just like think like how can we keep people here how can we meet their needs as the bigger question of organizing? Mm, that's good. No, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Should, should we, I mean... I'd love to hear more about your experience with DSA and I will happily, you know, I can happily go first to like, uh, what's it called? Um, yeah, I can, I'll happily go first if you'd like, <laughs> just to, yeah. be, uh, you know, like, um, the extent of how far we can name names. But I, um, from my experience when I did DSA, um, I did, uh, I, I did like, I chose like one issue and i started like way back so i i did like the dsa 101 which is like they're meeting in like the lower east side uh they have like a new space now there were so many people like they had free food it was packed it was out the door i saw uh i'm not gonna say who but like i did see like a tv comedy writer there and it, it was just like everyone and their mama was there and then they started talking about like how dsa is like branched geographically um so i went to my neighborhood dsa at least like on zoom and i think it was like roughly half the people 
And then I chose an interest group, which is like how they, you know, do their topics or whatever, like what you're passionate about, what you want to work on. Um, and I did healthcare working group, right? So I think that was like a quarter of the people that had showed up before. And then beyond that, they have like a, a task force for each interest group. And I think that was like actually doing stuff, which like, you know, based on like what Aaron talks about is like very much like, um, you know, hands-on, like calling people, uh, flyering, like all that stuff. Like, I think it was like me and like three white dudes. Um, and, <laughs> and that was like for healthcare, you know, like healthcare for all that kind of thing. Um, very not good, very unpleasant and uh, just generally bad vibes. So yeah, that was my experience with DSA. I'm sure there's some great experiences, um, but was not mine. Love to hear about yeah. yours. <laughs> oh man, I am so sorry because at least my experience was not that bad, but I'm not surprised. I will say that. <laughs> I was part of DSA maybe for a year and a half, and I was part of um, a working group that I actually liked, the Immigrant Justice Working Group. Mm, um, yeah. which that makes was, sense. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> why? I wonder why. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think my my thing, and also related to just the kind of organizing work I like to do, or my lane, I guess, for for the sake of political toolboxes. Yeah. It was always came back to electoral like politics, yep. even for oh, like yeah. the working group where I was like, I, you know, wanted to be part of this working group in hopes to connect more deeply, you know, with like certain like immigration focused issues, um, which they did. But I think sometimes like even just, wow, really name and names, just hearing from like the upper organs of DSA, like just requests or tasks and asks around like this election's coming up, door knocking, flyering for this candidate. Mm, I was like, yeah this is simply not where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. very, very vote focused, right? Very like voting yeah. people. Yeah, like when I, like I haven't been in DSA, but like some people in Youth Against Displacement were before and it really feels like, you know, like in high school you had like student government and student council and like class president. <laughs> it feels kind of like that, but just for like local politics, you know, everyone's always trying to just like be like the popular kid in school who wants to be elected. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good analogy actually. <laughs> I'm like, why does this feel so familiar? And yeah. yet <laughs> what is going on? And yet we're grown yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. And yet we're grown yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, cuz like um, I feel like 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 DSA would never do like, you know, a protest at Times Square uh, against, you know, military bases, right? It just cuz there there's no elected official involved there's no specific bill to vote on involved for this it's more like a like an outside of electoral things action so but like yeah, yeah. sorry i was just gonna say like even even within um electoral politics though right like there was the railroad worker strike and i think if i remember correctly aoc voted against uh like the workers striking or something like like basically oh, didn't support yeah, them yeah. and then yeah. i remember seeing in like new york city dsa comments people were like who is gonna hold aoc accountable like she she didn't support the worker blah 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 blah. nothing yeah. I, I i don't even think dsa put yeah. out a statement or anything yeah anyway yeah i was literally just a brit 
about to bring up AOC for that example of just like, and I will say like, yeah, I was on the AOC train a couple years ago when she was first starting out, but like, who's actually holding her accountable? And also like, you're you're literally voting anti-worker and also had brought like at a speaking engagement recently, like had brought like military recruitment. So I'm like, girl, where are you? What are you doing? Yeah, she's very anti-train in general now yeah (laughs) anti-train worker anti-train worker pro-military i don't know girl so yeah yeah Yeah. oh so much to say (laughs) yeah yeah it is kind of frustrating like it's it's not the first time this has happened there's also julia salazar with like kind of like privatizing like nitra housing you know public housing like bring it like that type of thing and there was no call out but yeah, it's so frustrating when it's like you're so focused on electoral politics and then when the elected people you have do bad stuff, you also don't want to call them out. On top of the whole electoral politics not you know, being the only way to do things, but yet you still have an obsession for it. Yeah. Right. I, you know what I will say to give DSA a little bit? <sighs> of the roses we have had a specific chapter i know wow i didn't even think of that joke but we'll say it is now um ds like the international um like there's an anti-war committee for dsa mm, yeah. i will say they have shown up to buy in stuff oh nice. so that has okay. felt like really good to see yeah. like there are and also because even just acknowledging it's a it's huge it's like a big yeah. tent organization yeah as they like to 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 describe so dsa dsa yeah Yeah, dsa is like a big tent organization right Ten thousand members oh no it's like 90 i think oh ninety thousand members Ninety thousand card carrying members oh yeah yeah Yeah. bro what what is this the nra like (laughs) that's the only time i've heard card carrying member used before other than that i used to i forgot i had like my little i got my little dsa card in the mail and had a little name on it and yeah the little rose yeah mine's mine's like in my my paperwork somewhere over there a a card carrying (laughs) member that is truly some nra speak right there Uh, Uh, yeah I think dunking <laughs> I think dunking on DSA is a great way to end this episode. Um, if you enjoyed this, the best way to support us is to give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Obviously, you can find us on social media. Just search Politically Asian Podcast. But yeah, if you feel like donating something financially, you can always find us on buymeacoffee.com slash politicalasian. But that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.